Welcome to Stacy on the Ride here on Family Vision Media. So glad to have you with us this day because I have Jason Badrick, Research Fellow at the Heritage Foundation, heritage.org, joining me. We're going to be talking about, first off, some recent elections from last week. Um, Jason, thanks for coming back on. Thank you so much for having me again. So let's talk about this. Um, the elections have actually been pretty nice. It's been a, a bright spot in a recession and in uh, a high inflationary period and ridiculous gas prices. We have had some pretty good results. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, on the school choice front, it's really been remarkable. Uh, what we've been seeing is that school choice is emerging as a litmus test issue for Republican primary voters. Uh, and in state after state across the country, uh, we're seeing voters support candidates who are in favor of school choice and, and vote out sometimes even uh, longstanding uh, incumbents uh, who have been obstacles to school choice. So what election specifically, because I get a lot of people who call into the night show and they, what they do is they, they are very frustrated about the election in 2020 and they don't believe that any candidates can win and that, you know, there'll be some kind of upset during the November 2020 elections. They are almost counting on it. And they're so, they're so depressed about it. And I've been pointing to Virginia um, that that's a reliably blue state for 13 years that is now a red state and other races across the country. Some of them are federal, they're, they're uh, Congress. Some of them are major upsets like Myra Flores down in Texas. In any case, we've had a lot of wins on the conservative side because people are so frustrated and Democrats are absolutely flummoxed with their leadership right now. So uh, let's talk about the specific races and, and the connection to school choice. Well, sure. Uh, just last week, uh, there were uh, primaries in Arizona, Missouri, and Tennessee. Uh, all three states saw uh, anti-school choice candidates ousted by pro-school choice candidates. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, in Arizona, uh, there were only three Republicans in the House uh, who had been obstacles to school choice. Uh, two of them were running again for legislative seats. One of them was running for superintendent of public instruction. All three of them were voted out uh, by the voters. Uh, even in Maricopa County earlier this year, uh, the county Republicans uh, voted on a resolution that condemned the three legislators for being obstacles to choice. Uh, although at the end of the day, uh, the, the state did expand their uh, what's called empowerment scholarship program. Uh, in other states, they're known as education savings accounts, uh, which allows families to tap into 90% of the state portion of per-pupil expenditures to use for a wide variety of uh, educational expenses, things like private school tuition, tutoring, textbooks, homeschool curricula, online learning, special needs therapy, so they can really customize their child's education. Uh, Arizona was the first to enact an ESA policy like that 10 years ago, and this year, uh, under the leadership of Governor Doug Ducey, they expanded it so that every single child in the state could get access. Uh, Missouri had a number of races uh, where uh, pro-school choice candidates uh, won, uh, and in, uh, in Tennessee, there were uh, 10 races where the teachers' unions had endorsed uh, a a candidate in the Republican primary, uh, nine of those candidates were defeated. Uh, so really, just nationwide, we're seeing tremendous success. And this, this follows up uh, successes that we've seen in a number of other states. 
Iowa, Idaho, Kentucky, Texas. Uh, it's really a big year. So uh, we're going to see legislatures across the country next year that are even more pro-school choice than they have been. And so that pro-choice fervor is kind of an offshoot, and and this is my opinion, of course, that the pandemic actually got parents used to the idea that they could manage their children's education in a more close and intense level. And that feeling hasn't gone away. If anything, the proliferation of work from home, remote work has made it possible for parents to actually fully realize that. So during the pandemic, it was scary. It was, you know, they were forced to do it. They had the remote school options and they hated them. But now they've actually found things that they like, things that they can manage, things their children are responding to. And with their remote environment, their interest in going back to a more traditional model is it's out the window. So if a candidate isn't on board with expanding school choice and strengthening options and making it even easier for them, then that person really, I guess they set themselves out of competition, don't they? The, the candidate. Yeah, I think they do. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it's twofold. It's what you described, but it's also uh, that that families got a peak uh, you know, through Zoom school, at what was going on in their child's classroom. Uh, and in many cases, they were upset that the level of the quality just wasn't there. Um, or worse, that there was, uh, you know, the politicization of the classroom in ways that made parents feel very uncomfortable. Uh, and when they would uh, confront uh, the elected leaders, so when they would go to the school board hearings, uh, very often they were dismissed, they were shut down. Uh, their mics were cut, and so parents were were saying, "Well, you know, you know, we need other options here. If they're not going to listen to us, uh, we want to go to a school uh, that is going to listen to us." Uh, I could tell one other story, uh, you know, because what what we see is, you know, when when you have this uh, parent outcry, uh, politicians are starting to listen. Uh, Governor Kim Reynolds in Iowa tried to get an education savings account passed this year. Uh, she got it through the state senate but ran into some obstacles in the state house and uh, wasn't able to get it over the finish line. But she said, you know what, this is, you know, we lost the battle here, but the war's not over. And she endorsed eight candidates in the Republican primary uh, who were pro-school choice. Uh, Seven of those eight won. Uh, One has gone on to uh, a runoff election. Uh, but next year, she's going to come back with a much more pro-school choice legislature and is likely to get across the finish line. Uh, 2021, the school choice movement had its high watermark. Uh, you had 19 states pass 32 new or expanded education choice programs. That's more than any other previous year. And it's not just the quantity, it's also the quality. A lot of the programs that were already on the books were for, uh, you know, they were for very low income students or they were for students with special needs or there was a cap, you know, of only 5,000 kids in the state who could participate. Uh, what we're seeing now is more and more states that are trying to go big, go bold. Uh, Arizona going universal uh, in uh, West Virginia, their ESA is almost universal. It's every kid that's switching out of a public school or who's entering kindergarten. Uh, so, Politicians are, you know, they always say that uh, state legislatures are a lagging indicator, uh, but it is clear to them now that this is what parents want. And so uh, more and more, we're going to see politicians deliver. 
So now that is the time for parents to think about what they're actually looking for, because when campaigns are knocking on their door, when candidates um, who are, are coming to the door or they're and they're saying, hey, I want you to vote for me. I really sincerely believe that parents should have a list of items that they're looking for that candidate to pledge to actually go after during their time in office. Like if your state doesn't have a a carve out or a workaround for you to use, uh, you know, a tax savings account, a health save or not health, but education savings account, um, then your elected person um, is is the person to, to ask about that. Like you want someone who is running to actually know what it is that your concerns are. And so a lot of us will talk about inflation and these are big deals. Like we, we can't we can't lose sight of those. But some of these things get lost in the mix because of how badly our country is being run. And I think now is the time for parents to sit down and say, okay, you know, what is the struggle for me with homeschooling? I love it. I enjoy it. But these are the things that are making it hard. It's this regulation. It's this rule. It's this, you know, my child can't play sports with this group because they're being homeschooled. Whatever the thing is, they should be speaking to the person who's asking for their vote to make sure that that candidate, when they become elected, will actually work on something they really need help with. And fortunately, there actually is an organization out there that has come out with something called the Education Freedom Pledge, uh, and that is the American Federation for Children. Uh, uh, Candidates who are interested in signing the pledge can go to edfreedompledge.com, and it's also a place that voters can go to see if the candidates that are on their specific ballot in their area uh, have taken the pledge or not, and of course, they could call their uh, local candidates and ask them to sign the pledge if they haven't already. So the pledge, we'll put the link to that in the show notes. So people who are listening to the podcast can, you know, if you're driving, you can just keep on listening and then uh, hit the show notes and, and get that pledge so you can print it out or, or share the link with prospective uh, candidates, whatever. So now let's talk about the future. When we're talking about the November election, obviously it's coming up. We have less than 90 days. Everybody's in go mode. Candidates are gearing up for the general. They've just won their primary. But there is a longer view. And the longer view has to do with the fact that, and and everyone who has a child knows this, you're in the school year that you're in. Everything for that school year is pretty much already set. But the next year is your potential for making a change if you want to move to a different district or if you want to change your child's educational model. And so parents start looking at what they're going to do for their child next year, right about now in the fall. As school begins to begin for this year, they drop the kids off there and then they start really working hard on securing a place at a new uh, educational model or what have you. How do you feel the red states are doing in supporting parents and being able to access the educational options? I know there's there's a lot of movement in school choice right now, but it's the red states that are receiving all the voters. The people are moving there. Um, the, the momentum is in the red states right now. Do you think red states are doing enough? It depends on the state. You know, so there are some states like Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Ohio, uh, New Hampshire that have uh, really robust education choice programs, uh, many of which have been in place for a long time and have been expanded in recent years. And so what you're finding is that in those states, you've got um, you know a, a robust market in education options and that those options are, uh, you know, the number and diversity of options that are available are just increasing every day. Uh, but, but actually, a lot of red states historically have lagged behind. 
so if you look at states like Utah, Wyoming, North Dakota, uh, you know, a lot of these states actually uh, don't have any school choice program whatsoever. Uh, and there are a number like South Carolina, South Dakota, uh, Alabama that have relatively small school choice programs that really need to be expanded. Uh, the fortunate thing is we are seeing more and more interest from politicians in those states. Uh, so there, I think there is a lot of momentum. Uh, and if, if you ask me this question again uh, in two to three years, I hope to have a very different answer. Uh, but I would say that actually right now, the majority of red states do not have a robust education choice environment yet. So that's a problem to me. That means, now, now obviously in some of those states, they have good public education options, they have private, they have charters, and so people there may not be pushing as hard as they possibly could. But the best way to demonstrate that something is better than something else is to have that something on display, working, fully operational battle status um, in places where it can be seen. When people see something that works well, they're attracted to it. They gravitate towards it. And then they realize how much better it is than what they had. And they tell other people about it. So I I wish that we had more movement on that. I think Heritage has done a lot. I know uh, when Angela Saylor was with Heritage, she ran a part of the school choice movement that she drove that. And I know that Heritage is still working in that direction, educating and mobilizing people on that front. But I would love to see um, a unified message coming from the Republican Party and from our organizations, and especially to have the message at Heritage kind of filter down through other smaller orgs so that we could speak with one voice on how important it is for parents not to discount the opportunity they have to use educational choice and for parents who are using it and loving it to kind of be a little more loud about it and and say, you know, this is actually really working great for our family and here's why. More parents who are struggling need to hear that. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and I think right now we are at a moment in this nation where there are two very different visions of education uh, that are crystallizing in the minds of voters. Uh, one vision of education is that it is essentially uh, an extension of parenthood, that parents are choosing schools uh, and the schools are supposed to be acting as agents of the families to bolster what's going on at home. Uh, on the other side, there is a different vision of education that says what the school should be doing really is acting uh, not as extensions of parents, but in place of the parents, uh, and that they need to enlighten these children uh, often against the supposed prejudices of their parents and uh, mold them into some new type of citizen that is something very different from what we've seen in previous generations. Uh, and I think parents are recognizing this more and more, and are there's a big backlash against it. Uh, just in 2017, there was a poll by Gallup asking voters, in, you know, which political party do they have more confidence in? And the Democrats had a 20-point advantage over the Republicans. Uh, well, the American Federation for Teachers, one of the two largest teachers unions in the country, just released a poll. And uh, on that same question of uh, confidence, uh, it's now uh, a, a dead heat between the two parties with a slight one-point advantage for the Republicans. Uh, and that really is because, uh, unfortunately, the Democratic Party has been taken over by the left. Uh, and they are pushing this radical agenda on children in schools and parents are reacting against that. 
so I'm I'm hopeful that that conservatives are going to be able to push back against this, that they're they're going to be able to succeed. Uh, but at the core of conservatism has to be uh, the passing on of our values to the next generation. We can't be complacent about education. It really has to be at the center of the conservative agenda. I so agree. And you know what? When you started out there, when you said that the groups of people want to replace the parents, I have been so disturbed by that. Like I, that is kind of unbelievable. And for us to be in a situation where we have people who are openly advocating to replace parents as the, you know, setting in the setting of values, it's all the more reason why parents should consider and then execute on giving a school choice option a try. Because it doesn't hurt your child to go to, you know, a a school choice option and get a great education and make some new friends over the course of a year. For you to experience a different educational model as a parent, um, to have your viewpoint respected, to have teachers actually listen to you and work with you to develop your child. Um, It's so freeing and empowering. It feels so good to get an email from a teacher who says, I noticed your child has been a little down over the past couple of days. Is there anything going on? Um, you know, can I can I help you in any way? As opposed to them sending your child to the, the uh, district therapist or the the building therapist and starting a file and teaching your child that maybe they're suffering from transgenderism just because they've had a down week. There's there's it's nothing like it, Jason. When we first experienced it for ourselves, I was like, we're never going back. And this was years ago before. We really had CRT. Back then, it was diversity and inclusion. It was before the dreaded CRT had come to to uh, the full bore. So I just, I think what the work you're doing is important. And we are always so blessed and thankful when you can join us and spend some time with us here on Stacy on the Right. Uh, tell everybody where to find out more. And I'll also put the resources in the show notes. Sure, they can follow me on Twitter at Jason Bedrick uh, or find uh, the work of myself and many other uh, great scholars at uh, heritage uh, at heritage.org. Awesome. You are amazing. And thank you for your time today, sir. And this is Family Vision Media's Stacy on the Right podcast. And we're so glad that you listen. Please share the show and rate us on Apple Podcasts. God bless. See you next time.